Our Father, we thank you for this house, these pastors and the leaders of this house. We thank you that God has placed them in this city, in this region, and in the hearts of the people of this house. I pray, Lord, that uh, through the simple things we'll say this morning, that you will speak to us because Jesus, we really want to hear from you. I pray that we will hear your voice somehow in the rumble of everything in the words that I say, that we will hear the voice of God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I want to uh, read to you from the 17th chapter of John the greatest prayer that's ever been prayed because in this prayer, Jesus specifically had in mind this church. When you read it, you read how Jesus built you and who you are and who you're with into this prayer. Here's what he said in the first part. Let's begin at the first verse. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given to him, in other words, remember what Jesus is saying. Jesus is looking out at these disciples, and he said, these are not just some people. These are the people you have given me. The reason you gave them to me, that they may know you, the only one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The sixth verse. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me. I, that, that phrase keeps ringing in my ears. You gave me these people. They're identified the fact that they're your gift to me. Gave them to me out of the world. They were yours, and then you gave them to me. Let's go down to another verse. You have given them to me that they may be one. Right. Just begin to picture yourself in this passage. If you were hearing Jesus pray it, he's saying, I receive, Father, this person whom you gave me, that they may be one with us and with each other. Then look at the 21st verse. That they all may be one, even as your Father, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so the world will believe that you sent me. This amazing chapter where Jesus keeps praying this thing, Father, you gave them to me for one purpose, that they may be one with us. The 22nd verse, the glory which you've given me, I've given to them. 
same phrase again, that they may be one just as we are one in the dimension of, the fullness of, the manifestation of, as I am one with you and without you I am not and without me you are not. I'm one with you. Now I'm one with them. I and them, you and me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know because of their unity the world may know that you sent me you love me father i desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where i am so that they may see my glory which you've given me for you love me before the foundation of the world that's an amazing prayer that Jesus prayed what in the world does it mean I'm not really going to preach to you today I I just want to talk to you I, I, I want to talk to you what's been kind of going over in my heart how I've been feeling I, I feel like talking to you as a friend to friend an old preacher to a younger congregation than myself some of you could be my children most of you could be at least my grandchildren in fact a great many of you could be my great great grandchildren <laughs> uh, in about four weeks I'm going to be celebrating my 87th birthday and uh, just in just in case you can't add that's really old and I don't feel old. I hope I don't act old. I certainly don't live old. I hope I don't look too old. But the years have passed and I don't know where they've gone. It was in 1952 that we pulled out of our driveway in our house in a 1951 Kaiser and left for our first evangelistic itinerary we were going to the state of Maine. We stayed at a place called Loon Lake. Every morning we watched the loons come and land. Did you ever watch a loon land? It's the craziest thing you've ever seen because they just fall over and over. They can't seem to know which way is up. It was a beautiful lake. And over the next few weeks we preached in seven churches. Some of them were country churches. Some of them were city churches in the city of Portland. And uh, it was kind of getting acquainted with what this thing called ministry is. Went back to Bible school the next year and a year later in 1953, I graduated and left again on an evangelistic tour. We started in Arkansas, in Hope, Arkansas. That's the church where Bill Clinton used to go to church and play in the orchestra. I don't know. He might have even been there. Maybe he was just a baby. I don't know. It was a long time ago. We went from Arkansas, several communities, to New York and Pennsylvania. I remember the cities. Uh, most of all, I remember what it felt like being a young evangelist that didn't know where he was going and what he was doing. Uh, 
or what he's supposed to say. I remember counting the crowds, and I thought, I wonder if my crowds will ever be as big as Oral Roberts. I might have had 75 people, and he had thousands. But somehow, maybe, just maybe, I could get there. I remember the cities. I remember on the boardwalk in Atlantic City, New Jersey, they said the pastor was going to visit the crusade in Atlantic City because he was interested in hearing us preach, and I preached that night. And afterwards, we went out to a beautiful restaurant on the boardwalk and ate dinner. He said to me, uh, uh, we have voted as a group of churches down in the middle of Pennsylvania to invite you to come as our evangelist and bring your tent. Well, we didn't have a tent. <laughs> Had no idea where we could even get a tent or pay for a tent. And as he was talking, all of a sudden, God gave me a vision that we would have a tent. Kind of lived my life like that, all of my life. Doesn't matter what you have or don't have, it matters what you see. It matters what you believe. And so I remember my dad saying to that pastor, but we don't have a tent. And I stopped my father and I said, Dad, we're going to have a tent. I don't know where we're going to get it, but we're going to have a tent. And my dad kicked me kind of under the table and said, don't you understand what they cost? Especially a big evangelistic tent. We went back to Arkansas. And when we got to Arkansas, to a little church there, uh, in order to make a few extra dollars, my dad brought some Bibles. He'd buy some Bibles from the manufacturers and put them on a table back and we'd sell them for a few dollars profit so we could pay the bills. A man walked up with old clothes, he had overalls on and he looked like he was a very poor, certainly a, a blue collar worker, certainly not a rich man, maybe just a poor man and my dad felt kind of sorry for him and he got the nicest Bible off the table and said, would you like that? The man said, I love that Bible. And my dad just said, well, it's yours. You can have it. And he gave the man in the overalls a Bible. What my dad did not know was he was the richest man in town. <laughs> he had gone to Venezuela to lay pipe. And as he laid the pipe, he said, I can do that. And he started a business laying pipe in Venezuela to get the oil out of the land and made millions and millions of dollars. A few days later, we were in their beautiful mansion, the nice, beautiful cars outside, and, and uh, his wife didn't look like him at all. She was the blonde and vivacious woman. Her name was Nola Askew. If you go to Oral Roberts University, you'll see her picture on the walls with all of the regions because she gave millions of dollars to ORU when they founded it. As we looked around, he brought a, not a check, but a little letter, and he said, go by the tent and send me the bill. And all of a sudden, I knew what my life would look like. My life would always look like a person that had everything, because I did. 
I learned that you can confess the word of God and it would work. If I was sick, I did that. I was a cripple and did that. And if I could say anything to the world, I would say that the confession of faith really works. I'm 87 and I have hardly ever been sick a day in my life. I don't know how to do sick. It is very frustrating to be sick. I don't like to be sick and I don't intend to be sick. But you know, it, uh, and at 87, I'd have to tell you that it really works. I'd advise anybody to live that way. We went on through life, put that tent up in somewhere between Bloomsburg and Danville, Pennsylvania, a rural area, and had the greatest tent meeting we had in all of our lives. I remember one night when 75 teenagers received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Remember who some of them were. One was a young lady that became head of the entire medical missions program and still is for the Assemblies of God. There were pastors that came out of that little group. God had a plan and somehow or other I find that I fit into that plan. You've heard much of my story how we went to the Philippines on a one-way ticket. God made us pastors of what was then the largest Assemblies of God church in the world and when I was 26 years of age. Went on to Korea and worked with Dr. Cho, those stories you've heard probably me tell many, many times. But they're all part of a life that had to do with the confession of faith, that you see something, and when you see it, you believe it. And when you believe it, you confess it. So the other day I was uh, having a father-son talk with the Lord. Uh, I guess I was talking to Jesus, but kind of addressing my prayer to the Father. And I, as a child, I remember what Christmas morning was like. Do you remember Christmas morning when you were a child? I hope you had the kind of childhood I had, because my parents went out of the way to make Christmas very, very, very special. I don't know how much they spent. Uh, my dad was a chef, and so we didn't spend much money for food because he was chef at a very fancy place, and so we could bring enough food off from the leftovers to feed us, and so we never had to buy any food, and where others would spend half of their income just buying food for their families, my parents spent nothing but they chose to use that money to buy me toys. <laughs> I remember recently I, I met the, the third man who founded uh, Amway. And there's a whole film made of his life in which you can see his jet and his, uh, not only jet, but his four other airplanes and all of that stuff that they have to have to make you think they're rich anyway. And he said, I remember when we played together as children. He sa I said, what do you remember about me? I remember when none of us could afford nice toys. When we got in the sandbox, you had the new automobiles. 
everybody admired you because you had everything. I was brought up like that, but not because my parents were rich. We, it was depression. But because somehow they believed in abundance. So I lived like that all my life. So I was having this father-son talk with the Lord. I said, Father, I remember when I was a child and what it was like to want something and then you trusted your parents because you knew that they were generous enough and big enough and wonderful enough that if there was any way to get it, you'd have it. But now I'm looking at you, Father. What do you want from me? If it's Christmas and I was going to bring you something as a gift, would it be money? Would it be life? I've lived 87 years. I've tried to give that to you. I think I have. I've given you a lot of things, a lot of money. What would you want from me? And all of a sudden, I heard these words, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So faith is not about money, and it's not about things. It's not about giftings. It's not about provision. Faith is about trusting God. He's a good father. The reason he gives me stuff is he's a good father. And the Lord said to me, if there's any gift that I desire from you, and I told you in the book, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Tommy, give me your faith. Give me your faith as a gift. You lived all these years, and I've been good to you. Can you still give me your trust and your faith? At 87, can you still give it to me? What about that? I went over my life and remembered all of the gifts God had given me and all of the wonderful, amazing ways that he's provided for me in the church and the ministries. And I remember all the things we needed and how God provided all those miracles. I don't have near enough time to even, even mention a few of them, but all of these years he's been faithful. When we were in Bible school, we used to sing that chorus. That's old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Oh God, my Father, great is thy faithfulness. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Do you understand that you've got a heavenly Father that is your provider and that everything that you need is in his hand and there is no way under heaven that he will not be faithful. And I thought about all that. And I said, God, I, I've given you that all my life. I've trusted you. I, I've watched you provide for me things and money and cars. And I've had more than I can possibly imagine. You've been so faithful. Why do you say that to me? Why is it you ask me if I will give you faith? I believe I have all my life. That's why you've been faithful. What father would give you anything if you didn't trust him? And I was brought down to the nitty-gritty of who we are. 
talk about that in just a moment. The nitty-gritty of, of how this religion of ours, it's not really religion, it's a relationship with a faithful God, how that works. How it's amazing to be able to trust him, to believe him. And for much of my life, it's been so easy. And again, those words came to me. Do you still trust me? Are you willing to give me your faith? Little did I know that I was coming to the time in my life when it will be the hardest for me that I've ever had to trust. For some time, I'd had high blood pressure, and I, I fell outside of the Hampton Inn in West Seneca, picking up a speaker. I, my glasses came off, and this part of my glasses was driven into my face. I went to this to emergency place, and they put 18 stitches in my face. I went out, and I don't know how you think after that kind of surgery, you just go out and do things. I went out and picked up the, this man again and took him to where he was going, and about halfway through that, all of a sudden, the world came out from underneath me. Uh, how do you fall, have surgery, and go out and live a normal life? You can't do that. And all of a sudden, everything went crazy on me. I went home and I said, Wanda, there's something wrong. Took my blood pressure, she couldn't believe the machine, so we went down to the drugstore, put your arm in that little machine and my blood pressure was 245 over 135. And all of a sudden I realized that I am either gonna die, have a stroke, or this has gotta come down. And on the way, I'm wrestling with all this stuff. Lord, I'm in my 80s. You've been faithful to me all my life. And God, when I die, I'm going to go home. If you want to take me home, that's fine. Just don't let me have a stroke. And I kept hearing these words in the car. Is your attitude faith? Is your attitude belief? Am I really your heavenly father? And I kind of put it out and complained to Wanda and complained to the world and say, I can't believe this has happened to me because I don't do sick well. I've never been sick. I don't, I don't understand that whole world of sick because I've never been there. Except when I was a child. And I'm going to tell you over the next few months, three months, as they tried and tried to regulate my blood pressure. And then you get this awful medication they give you to bring it down. And uh, I found out what everybody had told me, that doesn't make you feel good. So if you're not sick from the blood pressure, you're sick from the pills and why is life worth living? And for three months, I, I tried to believe but it was hard to give God my faith. A couple of times when God met my need and, and uh, 
then you're beginning to do all of the stuff people do and this is your age you're better than most people and I'm going through all of the rationalization that it's okay uh, but I don't feel good and I you know and I'm just saying God it's not nice to be sick I don't like this and I kept hearing those words I ask you for a gift and you're not responding very well you believe me all your life are you willing to give me the gift of faith got a little better and the medication wasn't acting so bad and and uh, a week ago I took a meeting in a town in Pennsylvania right south of Erie it was a big church I was telling your pastor about it it was a very large church and I thought three services you've got 28 minutes in each service to preach you've got to get these people out of here they have a they own a whole square block but they have services their services their main services are in theaters and, and so you're preaching these services back to back and I'm saying to myself I'm not sure I can stand the pressure of exactly 28 minutes or less you then give the altar call and you better give that short too and I'm thinking I'm not sure an 87 year old man is ready for all this <laughs> did all the services felt good sold a lot of books between services and signed books and signed books and signed books and went in and preached another service and preached these services and uh, when I got through I didn't feel even tired and I said Lord I don't really understand this we went out to a big Italian restaurant to eat tried to eat not very much because I didn't want to get sick so uh, I, I thought I'd better go easy so I did drove all the way home uh, had a special program at the tabernacle that night and so I went to church again at night and I realized I'd been up about 18 hours whatever it was I don't remember the time but it was a lot of hours and I'm feeling fine and all of a sudden I realized that he is still faithful he is still faithful. How can I possibly doubt him? How is that possible? As I was coming here this morning, I thought of your name. I, 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 I love your name, Light City. Do you ever think what that really means? Do you ever think what, why they named it that? Why you say I'm from Light City? Uh, the name is useless without faith. Hear me, the name is useless without faith. The problem is not just the meaning of a name. The problem is that you are people of the light. And our problem is whether we believe that or not. Did you ever ask yourself the question, am I really the light? Do I just say I go to the light? 
My church is called the light, but my problem is believing. A number of years ago, I was pastoring a church in Hong Kong. It was a church of millionaires and billionaires. I think most of the very wealthy Chinese, all who were Christians, went to this church. Lester Summerall was the senior pastor, and I, every time he made a trip, I would have to pastor the church. And I'd stand be, between all of these people. The one man I stayed with, S.K. Sung, we lived on the peak, and we were coming down in his Mercedes limousine with a uniformed chauffeur in the front of the car, and we were looking out over the Hong Kong Harbor, and there were, it looked like maybe 80 or 90 ocean-going vessels. And the person beside me say, I own that one, and that one, and that one, and that one. Four of my ships are sitting in the harbor. And I'm staying at his house, enjoying the limo. Got to church that night and preached. The problem was that though I had millionaires sitting in the congregation, probably a, at least eight or nine millionaires and two or three billionaires, they had the money. I had nothing. It was nice to preach to them, but they assumed I was a famous preacher, I guess, or I wouldn't be there with them. So though they fed me those huge feasts, I didn't have any money. And I was ready to board the Star Ferry. I will never forget it. And I had these coins in my pocket that were enough for, to get home across the, the, the harbor between the, the church was in Hong Kong and, and my hotel where I was staying at that week was on the other side in Kowloon. And I realized, I counted them, I had two fares, one to get back home the other to get back to the church. And as I put that coin in the machine and walked on the Star Ferry, I heard these words. Am I your father? Is your source the millionaires? You can ride in his limousine and see his ships. But he's not your source. Am I your father? I went up and I said, Father, I've got enough money to get back to the office in the morning, but I can't get back home tomorrow night. And I was tempted to pick up the phone and say, Brother Sung, can you loan me some money? And I heard those words, are you my father? Am I your father? I went back to the hotel. And as I was walking out to spend my last coin, I heard these words in Chinese. Leitok Muxi, Pastor Reed, in that dialect. I have something for you. And I turned around and he handed me an envelope. I opened the envelope and there was a $100 US bill with these words, I'm sure you don't need this, but God told me to give it to you. He was 
my father. Faith is how we see ourselves. As I was walking, as I was riding that ferry back, and I was about to preach to all those multimillionaires, my father asked me a question. Who is the richest man in the city? I looked at the skyscrapers and I, I looked at the, uh, the buildings around me and the limos that were coming to pick the rich people up. Who's the richest man in the city? It's not a matter of competition. It's a matter of relationship. The richest man in the city is not S.K. Song. The richest man in the city is Tommy Reed because of his father. How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself living a life of abundance? Do you see yourself attending the greatest church in the world? This church is what you see and what you believe. It's nice for pastor to get up in the, at this table and say to you, this is the greatest church in this city. And it is, but only if you have faith. If I could see anything to you this, after, this morning, I could say this to you. And I'm learning this the older I get. The more I walk with him, the more I see him, the more I know him. Faith is what I see. It's not the circumstance around me. This scripture that they may be one, they're to be one with me to the extent the Father and I are, that is so unbelievable. Can I believe it? Because oneness in the body of Christ is not a matter of psychology. It's a matter of faith. Everything that God has for us can only become reality through faith. Everything else is nothing but smoke and mirrors. Because there's a time when we realize, I am the righteousness of God. I am not an inferior person. Yesterday I may have fallen, but that is not me. The real me is the Christ in me. And everything in the world is different. Because I give him the gift of faith. I never thought I would have a hard time with that. Until the last few months. No matter what the doctor said, can you live and trust me? It's so easy, but so hard. Sometimes it's hard because uh, uh, we don't, we're not used to seeing life like that. Life doesn't work like that, or does it, or does it? The last thing that he said to me in our little argument together, 
is Tommy. Is there any better way to live in the world than to live by faith? Is there anything better than that? And I thought of a little lady in the Philippines. Her name was Sister Meningus. She had old clothes. She was a school teacher, had made a fairly good living as a school teacher. But she had almost nothing. I don't know where she lived. I'm sure she didn't live in much. She would have paper soles in her shoes because they were worn out. She had absolutely nothing. And then I heard the story. When she came to that church, Lester Sumrall was the pastor. And he shared a story. His vision, his faith, his trust, his belief, and his vision for a huge church. She believed it. So she made a commitment to live by faith. She said, God, I will not buy another pair of shoes. Everything that would go for shoes will go to that building. Brother Summerall brought this big B-29 hangar and made it into a church. It seated somewhere around 2,500 people and was filled several times on Sunday with no people. Seven families and an empty building. And Sister Meninga's faith. And when I was there, there were five services Sunday morning filled almost every time. You could hardly get a seat, let alone breathe when you got one. And I thought, you walk on newspapers, but you give everything you have to your Heavenly Father. Can I really be a man of faith? Not without trust, not without sacrifice, not without belief, not without recognizing that everything that God made he called matter into existence. He said, let it be, and there was light. Let there be light, and there was light. Let there be oceans, and there were oceans. He called it out of nothing into reality because he was God. And you and I step into a dimension. He said, let there be light. And there was light, a sun to shine by day and a moon to shine by night, and we still live by the light he created. And God spoke to a group of leaders and said, let there be light in Fort Erie. And there is light. And the people that make up those light sit in these pews this morning, and I say to you, let there be light. And there is light, not because you're good or because you're perfect, but there's light because God created light in Fort Erie. And ladies and gentlemen, you are the light. God bless you.
Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that your life was impacted by this service and you are able to feel the tangible love of Jesus fill whatever space you're listening from. Maybe you found this message and you've never had the opportunity to come into a personal relationship with Jesus, or you've known about him, but been far from him. We wanna give you the opportunity to make his love a daily reality in your life. Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross so that you could be close to him. He wanted to wipe away every disappointment and bring you into a life of purpose and meaning, one that will impact this globe for good. If you'd like to begin this journey with Jesus today, then just repeat this simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've made mistakes and been living without you. I apologize and I trust that you will forgive me I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my Savior and my Lord. Help me believe in you and love you every day. And help me to show the world what you're like and how great your love is. I commit to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All of our Light City family are joining with heaven and celebrating over the commitment you have just made to make Jesus the Lord of your life. We have resources available for you to help you on this journey. And most of all, we're praying for you. Send us a note at info at golightcity.com to let us know about the decision you've made today. We have resources we would love to send you with some easy steps on where to go from here so that you can discover God in a real and meaningful way. If you have a prayer request, our team would love to connect with you and partner with you to see God transform your life. God bless you, and we look forward to hearing from you real soon.